Hello and welcome to Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, Dean of Education and Men's Golf Coach at Calvin University. And I'm Chad Carlson, Professor of Kinesiology and Director of General Education at Hope College. And we're coming to you from the audio studios of Our Daily Bread. Our Daily Bread Ministries helps millions of people connect with God each day. For more than 75 years, their purpose has remained the same, to reach people with a life-changing wisdom of the Bible. This is the official podcast of the Second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity, held October 23 to 27, 2019 in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Calvin University, where we'll be digging deep on issues related to sport, faith, and life. Well, we've arrived at the end of summer, the end of another year of uh, another summertime of sport, but also all those recreational activities, all those that time away, maybe vacations. And summer means the end of something, and it often means the beginning of something. It's the beginning of the school year for a lot of kids. They're uh, entering uh, maybe elementary or middle or high school or maybe off to college. I sent uh, my own son off to college this mm-hmm. this fall. Uh, my house is now empty with my daughters gone, and uh, it's all right. We're getting used to it, but it's all right. Um, getting excited about what the new starts bring. But I, as I think back about the summer, um, you have these thoughts, these these ideas uh, about what did, what did I gain? Uh, what happened in the world of sport? Uh, what happened uh, in your family? Uh, Chad, did... Did summertime bring any championships for your team or for your family? For my, well, sure. I, I, I feel like uh, every summer, you know, feels like a championship or feels like a playoff or a tournament, I suppose. We just, we have a lot of fun together. But um, yes, you know, we had a, we had a flag football championship. Oh, no kidding. For my family. We did. It okay. Was, well, I'm glad I asked. This is, and, and I say, when I say championship, I guess what I mean is we didn't lose any games. We won all the games, so there wasn't a. It wasn't an official championship, but man, what a blast we had! Uh, I coached my son in a, a first through third grade flag football hmm. season. It was a short season, you know, just four Saturdays in August. Um, you know, working with with boys that age is just such a blast. Um, working with kids really is, and 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 the interesting thing is that um, that you know these are boys that. Um, you know whose dads are are so into it, right? So I've, I coach a lot of youth sports, much like you like, right. like you have. No. Yep. Um, you know, I put out calls every time I coach to to all the parents and say, "Hey, if any of you want to help out at practice or anything like that, you know, yeah. we'd love to have you." And generally, I get crickets in response. <laughs> but whenever I coach flag football and I send out the same email, you know, I get response from a bunch of dads just saying, "Hey, I I want to, yeah, I want to help." Man, maybe it's something about football, right? Yeah. Just be able to stand on the sidelines and uh, be a part of it. Right. And football tends to, to attract the dads to come in and uh, maybe they're old football days, right? Um, and football tends to, just because of the size of the game, the number of players, it, it always has a lot of coaches, right? You need specialty areas. You need offensive line, not for flag football, but well. you need it for um, – you know, as you continue to walk through the system. And so to get people involved, I think that's a that's kind of a neat part of it. Also, uh, sometimes could be a difficult part for some of the kids yeah, to have sure. their dads uh, standing around. Well, the times that it becomes difficult, yeah, are exactly when the dads, you know, when the dads are living vicariously, you know, through their kids or reliving the glory days or the, the, the days they wish they had glory. 
you know, yeah. it's it's just a it's an interesting dynamic how much how much dads put into that. And there's always you know the nature of the season. There's always a lot of grandparents there, and um, and that's kind of a cool thing. But I think it shows a couple of things. You know, number one, my son is certainly learning the importance of football in American culture, and that that may be. Um, a little bit more than what I would like if I were to set up the world mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I want for him, which is not my job, not my responsibility, nor is it something that I will do, but it's something that I think about. Um, you know, how much more important grandparents seem to be thinking that this flag football is as opposed to other youth sports that that he plays, for instance. So he'd been playing some soccer maybe and playing yeah. maybe a little league baseball, something like that, and sure. yet... Um Grandma and Grandpa really want to come up for the football game. Yeah, they're, they're they're very supportive, and I think a lot of his friends too. Grandparents are very supportive and show up as much as they can. Um, but Grandpas want to talk about the football game afterwards. You know, after soccer game, it's hey, hey, great job. Um, you know, fun watching you. Let's get some donuts. Uh, but then they want to talk a little about hey, you had a great block there, or or this or that. It's just interesting that there's that is that's a really interesting observation that you have noticed. Interest. You have noticed just in the world of youth sport that you're walking around in all the time. There is a there's something unique and special in this culture about football. Sure. And, and like you said, it tends to bring grandpa, or at least in your experiences, it tends to bring males more than females. Yep. It's the it's the one sport where females have almost no opportunity there are we we've talked to people that have played um women's football girls Mm -hmm. football but it's just not very prevalent you just don't see it very often and so it is it is definitely a boy and man's world uh and it's an opportunity then for a connection right so grandpa wants to connect with his grandson and this is some common language that absolutely football has a common language in a way that soccer this other prevalent fall sport in the u.s does not for grandpa you know, right. grandpa doesn't understand soccer, and I'm not. I'm not talking about, you know, my dad specifically. I'm talking about sort of grandpa on the whole. Soccer was not a big deal when, when grandpas were growing up. Right, and so the uh, the ability to to sort of connect with your grandson or granddaughter through soccer is is limited because you can't you can't have the same conversation. You're, and if you haven't watched a lot of soccer and you don't understand what it is, it's not the kind of game that you pick up intuitively it feels like uh okay you're kicking this way you're kicking that way i can't quite understand it not mm-hmm. a lot of goals scored you know so uh, i've heard these sorts of things before right when people talk about soccer and uh football is far more complex in terms of the number of bodies doing a number of different things and less you can see right oh absolutely so in football you can't see much at all in fact right. if your kid happens to be on the offensive or defensive line there's this scrape going on, and in the end, there's a whistle, and then you're looking for a number. <laughs> right, Basically, right. you're trying to identify right. where's number 37, and yeah. uh, it's difficult to do. Soccer, everything's out there for you to see, but still, we're drawn to this drama of football, and it's connected, like you said, in the United States to American culture uh-huh. and the importance of it, not only at the professional level, but at the collegiate level. Right, it's, right. We had, and, and that's... That, that's absolutely correct. The fun of it, I think, for uh, for this league that I coached this summer uh, was that the boys were were having a great time, but they were wearing no pads. It's flag football, right? And there were no injuries, not right. one, right. not one all year long. I mean, and it's only four games. I get that, but you know, in a sport that's generally seen as a contact sport, and where you generally uh, don't get through a game at any level without some sort of injury or something like that, there were there were no. No injuries. 
No banging of heads. No banging of heads. This is a this is a safe version of football. Flag football is. It really is. We had, you know, we had probably more tears because mom hadn't shown up on time for the game or something like that, as opposed to tears from injuries. We did forgot not have my, any injuries. Forgot my shoes. Yeah, those my, types yeah. of things. Right. One, one kid's shoes ripped off. Uh, soles ripped off the bottom of the of the shoe. You know, we had to tape that up. But he was all like all out of sorts for a right, drive. Exactly. Yeah, didn't know what to do. But uh, but yeah, no injuries. It was, it's a, it was a safe mode of football. And these kids loved it. They loved it. And so as you progress, as you're looking at that particular system that your son, whatever um, uh, league or organization this was, is there a progression where eventually pads and helmets and um, protective gear is added and you start playing 11 on 11? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this was eight on eight. This is a, you know, he'll get to play flag football one more year in in the the municipality where I live. there are some states that have gone to, you know, that have passed laws saying you can't play tackle football until you're 12 or right. 14 or something like that. And other, other states that have really encouraged uh, flag football up, even up to high school, you know, in order to, I think, continue to promote what's culturally valuable about the sport of football, but, but also try to reduce the amount of injuries that players have. You know, the amount of wear and tear, the subconcussive hits, the, 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 the um, toil that your body goes through playing a contact sport like that. You know, it can affect somebody. It doesn't always, right? You're 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 living, walking proof here, Brian Bolt, that uh, uh, football doesn't doesn't hurt everybody. Um, uh, or maybe you would have been better <laughs> if you hadn't played football. I don't know. I, I mean, geez, what what were your experiences? Yeah, no, and I played. Um, so I put the the pads on as a kid. I went through an era where the first experience with football was uh, fully padded, and w- I remember the first day when we were trying to figure out how the pads go in the pants. Um, <laughs> it was a big challenge to try to figure all of that out. And they and call find... them togs back then. Your football togs. Togs. You use that language. You know what? I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. None. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, trying to fit the helmet and uh, figure out the mouthpiece, that was a big part of it, right? Mold the mouthpiece. I can still remember all those days. And, um, yeah, I and I played uh, when you were a little kid. You play both sides of the ball. You, um, you take a lot of hits. I can remember the biggest hits I felt were kind of those linebacker hits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a running back kind of running downhill. And it, you're the one stand, sort of standing there to try to stop them. And, uh, you know, for all of those moments, um, I avoided, I avoided serious injury through all of those years, uh, never had any sort of knee or ankle or hip or shoulder problem. And so, um, I was really fortunate to, to avoid those. And I don't think I, I mean, I, I heard sort of that loud ringing bell every once in a while in my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that was a concussion, uh, <laughs> Maybe you would all know better if I than I do, um, but at this point, um, yeah, you, you get the aches and pains of lots of different sports, right? You get uh, when you get to be over fifty, which I am now, you can feel some of those things kind of come back. Uh, but I think I injured myself far more in basketball than I did in football. Mm. Um, it was just uh, the jumping and landing of of ankle sprains that generally um, kind of took me out in basketball. So yeah, you go through these times where. As a kid, I lived for it. You know, there are all different types of kids, and and some you have to drag to the field to to play. And parents really are are interested in getting their kids involved in sports, so they drag them out there. I couldn't wait from season to season. I wanted to be out there for everything. And probably the worst thing in the world to me was was any kind of 
cancellation or rainout. It was one of the worst days of my life, right? Mm-hmm. Every time that we weren't able to play. So I just loved sport. I loved playing. Um, and football for me was, um, you know, my teams were terrible. I think it may have helped really? a little. Yeah. Uh, you, so you as a kid, I, I don't, I'm trying helped. to remember how old I was when I first started playing, but um, my team's lost almost every game of the year. Uh, you know how these municipalities go. Basically, there's um, some really uber dads and coaches that draw and attract. The, they, they find a way to get the best kids on their team. Sure. sure. Well, I didn't have any connections, and nor did my <laughs> coaches have any connections. Uh, we were the Razorbacks. I didn't know what that was, and uh, we would just go out and get pummeled every every year. Huh. Um, yeah, it wasn't until high school that I actually had a had a winning season. So that's really interesting. Yeah, and I stuck with it. You know, that's that's there, there's a couple of amazing threads there. Then to your early early football career, right? The uh, the lack of wins and yet continuing to play, right? right. Which, is, which is great, great testimony to your character, um, uh, but also to the, maybe the redemptive powers of sport, and then. The fact that you didn't get injured, and that, that's what's interesting too. You know that you can any any sport where you deeply where you are deeply engaged, you know, the risk of injury is there, right? And when you push your body, we have a really interesting uh, paper presentation that's going to occur here at the Congress uh, in a couple of weeks uh, about bodily negation and football as a as a public health crisis. Hmm. That as Christians, we need to be rethinking our participation in or spectatorship in football because of the ways in which the body is negated or the body is sort of, we, we are dehumanized through football. You play through pain. Uh, uh, each player is expendable. And certainly, you know, things like fantasy football um, exacerbate some of those problems that we, we dehumanize the football player. That, you know, your body is only your machine and, and you're only good insofar as you can make the next block or the next tackle or whatever else right, it is. right. Um, will be a really interesting paper coming from John B. White, a professor at Truett Seminary and Baylor University. He's the director of the sport chaplaincy program there. I can't wait for that talk about uh, this public health crisis. Yeah, and I think uh, I think John's a good guy to do that. He's absolutely. He, he's a, he's going to bring um, an athlete's perspective, mm-hmm. and he'll be able to talk about um, some of the injuries that happen in, in athletics in general. What I'll be really interested in hearing is. Um, the the way that football is singled out, and so for instance, in in every sport, in every activity, in in every recreational activity, there's there's this risk of injury, and there's even there's a number of sports with a sort of a especially recreational activities that have a greater catastrophic sort of possibility. Right, you participate in things that could could take your life. Football every once in a while. Uh, something happens, but it happens in every sport where mm-hmm. something uh, really tragic happens. And so it'll be interesting to hear because we've heard it often in the context of football, this idea that this is the one. This is the one that kind of pushes us beyond uh, what is reasonable, what is sensible, and in his case, what is uh, theologically sound. Right. And so it'll be interesting to kind of hear because I'm, I'm trying to sort those things out as well. And it's John will feel like very much in, in a room of, uh, of football lovers, of sport lovers, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to be a voice in the wilderness. Absolutely. Uh, and I love it, right? You need to have those voices, those people that are saying, look, culture is running headlong downstream, right? It is going extremely fast, and we all get caught up in the current. Right. And what are we missing as we're paddling along down the current? And it is 
possible that uh, Christians especially ought to have a very different perspective on sports in general, but also uh, maybe football for that, uh, for that reason that it has um, kind of moved beyond the boundaries of how we care for our bodies. So John will be presenting that um, in a late October weekend where there's a lot of big football games going oh, on. In fact, <laughs> it, it will likely be on a Saturday when there are a lot of big-time college football games going on. And we have had people already that have said, you know, I'm going to come to that Congress. It's it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. But I also have tickets to the Michigan football game. Michigan plays Notre Dame that day. Yes. It's a big deal in the Midwest. It's a big deal across the country, really. And uh and John will be like, yeah, like you said, the voice in the wilderness. That's something we all need to hear, and that's part of what we have going on in this Congress. We're just excited about that. Brian, you mentioned this uh, analogy to a river, right? So the river of of sports sort of continues to flow for us, right? It's always flowing, you know, un, uh, unstoppably. The water continues to go. Everything flows, and rarely do we step out of the boat. Do we step out to the shores and take a look at what it is for what it is? And uh, we're hoping that this is an opportunity to do that. But there are moments in sport when I think. As, as fans, as lovers of sport, as people who participate, we hear of things that sort of jolt us. We hear of things that maybe um, encourage us to question what we're doing in sport. And, and one of those having to do with football and having to do with injuries is, is Andrew Luck announcing his retirement. This is a guy that is seemingly in the prime of his career, could be in the prime of his career, a guy that, uh, uh, so Indianapolis Colts quarterback, a guy that had a really nice college career at Stanford has has really been sort of um, has been tabbed as somebody that can really transform the game of football because of the, his size, his skills, all those types of things. You know, a surefire Hall of Famer, and yet had an early career that was marked as much by injury as it was by his prowess on the field. A guy that all of a sudden, at the end of the preseason, decides I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. I'm not I think going it was to shocking. Do it, it was shocking to everyone that. Um, when you think of a prospect, when you think of a person heralded for being good at something, in the world of football, there really is no comparison to Andrew Luck. Absolutely. When he was uh, a college football player at Stanford, he was noted for his, his competitiveness, his size, like you said, his ability, his creativity, his, his smarts. Mm-hmm. Um, and his toughness. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things happening, he was almost the perfect football player and his leadership, by the way. And yeah. so he's in a position where he's uh, he, he's leading a team as a quarterback and he fit the mold completely. The, the suit fit him perfectly. And he was the number one draft pick coming out of uh, college and went uh, directly into a starting role and and performed, showed up, right, and and uh, really had an excellent start to what was going to be a fantastic career, and then one big injury, and then another one, and in his case, uh, the rehab process, uh, coming back from injury, uh, wore on his body and wore him down, but I also think psychologically, you could just see in his um, retirement moment, just psychologically. Uh, emotionally, how hard it is to want something so badly, to have that level of expectation placed on you. It was surprising, really, that he he ended up pulling away. Uh, When you have that much tied up in your identity, very often, and we see this with athletes all the time, even if there is a physical toll to pay, they're going to stick with it. And, And it's possible that Andrew Luck's other interests 
he sat down in, in some moment and just decided this isn't worth it. It's a cost benefit analysis and I need to get out. You know, there's some, there's a lot of emotions that come along with, with this. And in some ways there's, there's, there's deep sadness that a guy like Andrew Locke, who seemingly has it all together and has the ability to play football really well, um, you know, seemingly is, is sort of buckling to some of the, the pressure. And buckling is not the right word, but a guy that is saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that anymore. There's a lot going on. It's, a, it's been a difficult go around for me. I've had, you know, all, all of this, the injuries, the rehab process, uh, the stresses, the pressures that come along with us. I'm not going to do it anymore. That, it, it's sad that a guy, a guy that's that talented and that good uh, is deciding that he needs to step away as, as the best thing for him. But it's also quite exciting because this is a guy that is pretty talented off the field as well. And a guy that really, I think, sees himself as more than a football player, even if that's been his identity to, to, to the public. A guy who is really smart, a guy who's a great leader, a guy that could likely be talented in, in seemingly anything that he chooses to do. And so this is also a very courageous move, I think, in some ways, for a guy to be able to, to step away and to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away from the limelight. I'm going to step away from, uh, you, know, wh- who, you know, what could be um, um, you know, a better job than an NFL quarterback, right? Just that you know, you're, you know, everyone um, uh, sees you as you know, you know, just below sort of saintliness. And um, I'm going to step into something else. I'm going to do something else that's maybe, that's maybe better for me or, and it might be better for, for the general public. I, I don't know. Who knows what he's going to do? Well, and the beauty of it is that Andrew Luck had the courage to make that decision, and because he's so famous, uh, others, too, can kind of think about what their best decision is. I don't know what the right decision is in his particular case, and I don't know Andrew Luck, nor would I have the chance to counsel him. But you have to believe that there were people around him trying to counsel him and say, uh, at this point in life, this is the this is the right move for you. And there are others that are going to make a, a different move, and we're going to heroize that as well, right? The people that come back from injury team, um, tend to kind of uh, build their own legacy. The ones that um, decide that they love the game so much that they want to keep going. You know, the, the Tom Brady's of the world where you can't quite figure out, this guy's done everything. Why is he continuing yeah. to play? Right. right this game. And I th- so I think both sides speak to us, right? So as athletes, we recognize that we want to play as much as we you know, much as we can because we love to play. At the the other side is that this became a job for Andrew Luck a long time ago, right? And so in many ways he is moving from one job to another. Um and leaving behind probably something that is um very much in his in his past memory, this idea of loving the game and playing. With all that pain, it's probably completely changed his perspective on on football, and uh, given him an opportunity to stand back and say, "All right, let's let's reevaluate." And in his case, he's going to step away. You know, this sort of fits with uh, with with his generation of of people, really. And I wonder if if we won't see more of this coming along the lines of. Um, just sort of the nature of the the character of the generation, a uh, younger generation of, of people, of adults. We have, um, you know, uh, people his age are changing careers all the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's not it's not as public as his. It's not as pronounced. You know, fewer people know about you know when uh, when recent graduates of, of Calvin University or, or Hope College, you know, change careers from you know, from banking to to. to there's not wealth us- management or something like that, right? It's not not usually a press conference. No, right? it's not a press conference. Nobody knows about it. Your LinkedIn right. changes. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, uh, but but this isn't uncommon, and uh, you know, you, you we so often see players retiring early because of injuries, 
Um, there seems to be a bit more going on here with Angela. There have been injuries, yes, but it hasn't been multiple repeated concussions. That seems to be the one thing that's sort of getting, you know, linemen to step away, for instance, or, or, or defensive players. But, um, you know, there seems to be more there, almost as if he, he has other opportunities. He's not stepping away simply because of the toll it's taken on him. There are, there are seemingly other things there for him, and that, that's kind of exciting, I suppose, for him. Yeah, and that's uh, it's going to be difficult on the Colts fans. Sorry, we've got one right in the room here, Bill yeah, Houston. Yeah, Bill, I know. Kind of hanging his head. And Jacoby Brissett will be your quarterback <laughs> or Brian Hoyer. Uh, sorry, that's not Andrew Luck. Yeah. You know, in sports so often, someone like Andrew Luck deals with, um, you know, it, being a quarterback is his identity. He's not allowed to have an identity beyond that, right? So everybody knows him as Andrew Luck, the quarterback. In sociology, that's called role engulfment. And oftentimes that's an unhealthy thing um, uh, from, from sociological standards. That is, if we put all of our stock into this one facet of who we are, that can be an unhealthy thing. Um, and so in the world of sport, we try to, uh, you as a coach, Brian, probably try to counsel your players to see themselves as being more than just golfers, right? We talk about that all the time. There's more to it yep. than that. And yet the one thing that we are called to is something that, that we hope will engulf us or something that our Lord and Savior hopes will engulf us, and that is our identity in Jesus Christ. Right, and when we think of Andrew Luck or anyone else, right, we don't know um, what his faith is, or he hasn't been explicit about what his faith is. But in that um, in that change, which it's inevitable for all of us, that idea of identity in Jesus Christ is um, something that Christians can cling to in those moments to try to, um, to cope with, um, that's that's a strength, but also just a, it's a confidence that comes with being um, being able to handle anything when uh, your ultimate your ultimate identity is in Jesus Christ. And I think that that sort of peace is something that's hard to explain to people that are non-believers. Just this idea that you know what, whatever comes or goes in in Jesus Christ, I have uh, my my fate is secure. Andrew Luck's fate as a quarterback is now complete, um, and yet that there was nothing secure about. There is nothing secure about one's identity as an athlete. There's there's nothing. Um, it's very tenuous. Yeah, you know, you win championships, and that's one thing that that no one can ever take away from a particular athlete. Um, but but one one's fate, what's going to happen next? There's always something next. There's always the next thing to prove or to do. That's a part of one's legacy. Um, now his fate is complete. He's, he's closed the door on that chapter of his life. We'll see what's next, and that's part of the beauty of, uh, of one's, one's engulfment in, in their role as, as, a, as, as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, that um, that's not a tenuous thing. It's not anything that we, that, that, that we do, right? There's grace and, and mercy there that, that comes to us unconditionally. You know, we're all going to be a little disappointed not to see Andrew Luck again, but uh, in I would encourage all athletes, all, everyone that's thinking about kind of where they are in each of these areas, if there are if there are aspects of the game that you're participating in that you're doing for other people or you're doing it not out of a love or a passion for the game, it's okay in sport to step away. In fact, it's really hard for people to step away when they feel like all the pressure's on them, and it just makes the experience worse. Uh, you could see that kind of in Andrew Luck's face, just the disappointment that he knew he was going to be bringing to everyone else. And yet for him, the courage to step away was um, really a monumental moment for him to be able to um, do that publicly, to step away, and then to be able to um, kind of move on to the next phase of life. 
I'm looking at Bill here in the studio. Bill, we have had quarterbacks in the past in the NFL who have said, I'm done, I'm retiring, and then have returned. We've had some quarterbacks that have done that multiple times. I'm thinking Brett Favre. Is this a possibility, Bill? Give us a shake or a nod here. This is not. Not a possibility. You don't that, see that him coming back. You don't see him coming back. This is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're getting we're getting yeah, some uh, kind of sad some about pessimistic this. vibes. Yeah, yeah, we're staying sad. I don't see this either. Uh, you know, Andrew Luck saying I'm done, and then a year later saying, you know what, I, I think I'm back in a position to be able to, to come back. I don't I don't see that either. I think he's got, I think he has too many too many interests. I think he has too much going on, or too many possibilities for him in terms of leadership in other facets of society. But isn't it interesting to think about? We do have athletes that come back out of retirement, especially when they retire early. And in fact, it took about all of 30 seconds for people to ask that question. Uh, the media was on that in seconds. How, will he come back, and will he come back with Gronk, right? Yeah. So two players that seemingly left with uh, a little bit left in the tank. So we'll we'll try to figure those things out. Um, this is the kind of conversation that uh, I don't... I don't know if the media is willing to take on these sorts of questions. I think they've, the, the media really spent some time trying to figure out uh, why Andrew Luck left. I think that's been mm-hmm. an important aspect. And so we can learn from those media conversations. We can't get close to Andrew Luck. That's too bad. But what we can do is, is uh, see it in the light of a larger picture and give us an opportunity to set, see how it affects the culture of sport and how the culture of, of sport then affects us in our everyday lives. It's the kind of thing that we talk about, uh, well, we hope to talk about at the Second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity coming up October 23 through 29 in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan at Calvin University. We're excited to uh, move closer to this. We are getting to the, the countdown here, Chad. This is getting really close. Well, we can't wait. There are so many really exciting presentations uh, based on titles and abstracts and, and, and the presenter's reputations. I, I can't wait to hear, you know, we talked about this, this, this paper coming uh, about you know, bodily negation as a public health crisis regarding football. But there are so many really, really interesting topics coming uh, from so many different sectors of the industry uh, in which sport and Christianity intersect. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be, there are a wide variety of stakeholders and attendees there, people who, you know, some who sort of live in and are paid through, you know, professionally in the world of sport and Christianity, and others who just have a, a dabbling interest, right, who are just sort of tangentially connected to the, to the field, but just have a real interest in talking about this stuff uh, because so many of us live it. So many of us are, are connected in some way. In our, you know, it might be very small, it might be large, but uh, so many of us care about sports. So many of us care about our faith. This is going to be an exciting time uh, to talk about the relationship between those two things. And this has been our pleasure to be a part of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life, and the official podcast of that Congress. And we hope you will be there with us uh, on those days to participate in all those different talks. Uh, The keynotes, which we haven't even mentioned yet, uh, very exciting. We want to invite all of you to come. If you are interested in uh, attending this Congress, just go to Calvin dot edu slash events slash 2gcsc we're excited to uh, invite you to come october 23 through 27 this fall this is dig deep the podcast about sport faith and life and we are out 